Thank you, thank you. I brought the gingerbread men out of retirement. <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I'm so uh, privileged and honored to be able to preach today and share the word. Do you know that the greatest event in history is the birth of Jesus Christ? It is the undisputed fact, historically, that Jesus was born a little over 2,000 years ago, and forever he split our calendar in two. That there would forevermore be before Christ and until he came. And that is the celebration that we celebrate today. That the birth of Jesus Christ forever marked our calendars, forever marked our world and our lives. So that all of human history would be marked before his coming and after his coming. What an incredible, beautiful thing that we get to celebrate that Jesus came into this world in a crazy way. You would think someone like that came to the most powerful city, to the most powerful family, but no, he was an unplanned pregnancy to an unmarried teenage woman. The most important person ever born. This was God's plan for salvation in human history. That the God-man would be born in a relatively backwater town to an unknown family in a province that was at the very edges of the greatest empire in the world. Today, we get to look at how heaven and humans reacted to the news of Jesus' birth and his coming into the earth. In Luke chapter 2, now for those of you that have been with us for 10 years, you remember when we covered Luke chapter 2. But I wanted to call back to this scripture as we've been going through Luke to remind us how it all started. And this beautiful passage, Jesus is just born. He is born amongst family and animals in a manger because there was no room in the inn. He could not even get a hotel room in the town that he was in. There was a census going on, and so everybody had to go to their hometowns, and the town that uh, Joseph and Mary had to go to to give birth to Jesus was packed because of the census of the time of Caesar Augustus. And this night that Jesus was born, we see the celebration that happens in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And I'm not sure if we'll, yes, we will have it on the, it is on the screen, praise the Lord. You can read along with me. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that there will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host or heavenly army praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying 
that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. Amen. So Jesus is introduced first time as a person here in the Gospel of Luke. We have heard prophecy about him in Luke. We have heard the angels speak about what was coming. But this is the first time we get introduced to the person of Jesus. And he is just a baby. He's not talking. He's not preaching. He's not healing people. But he is just lying in the manger. He is in his very infancy of his life. And in this moment, Jesus is given these incredible titles from the angel as the angel comes to the shepherds and tells them what is happening this night, this incredible thing that has occurred. In verse 11, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This verse is the only verse in all of the New Testament where all three of these titles appear together to show us who Jesus is. This little baby in this lost, faraway province in this little town, Bethlehem. Someone who was born who is both Savior, Christ, and Lord. And I want to talk about these titles because of their significance and what they mean. Who we have in Jesus lies in who he is. The titles bestowed upon him by God, given to him by his Father, and who we accept. And in those accepting of those titles, we realize who is it that we worship, who do we pray to, who do we believe. Or, if you do not believe, then asking, who is this God-man? And why do so many people around the world celebrate him, worship, gather every Sunday to praise? What is it about this person, about this God? That would make so many people around the world worship, praise, and reorient their lives and change their, the structure of their lives and who they are to follow him. The first thing that we see here is that he is called Savior. Savior, another word that we can use for that is deliverer. It was this, this Greek word was used of the gods, the Greek and the Roman gods, right? These were when they would pray to the gods in war. They would pray to the gods because they needed help or they needed something. They never knew if the gods were feeling benevolent or merciful one day or they were angry, lustful, and passionate the next day. But they prayed hoping that the gods would deliver them and be their savior. This title was also used of the Roman emperor. When the Roman emperor would go out and he would conquer and he would come home and he would celebrate his triumph in Rome, they would bestow this title on him, scream it in the streets, Savior, Savior of Rome, Savior of Rome, Deliverer of Rome. Because the Roman emperor would go out and conquer Rome's enemies, keeping the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome. And so this title was thrown and given to the Roman emperor. He was the one who saved them. He was the one who delivered them from their enemies. But it was also given to doctors and philosophers of the time. 
the people that would help through the hard times and realize the point of life and the reason for life or were going through ailments and there was no one else that they could turn to and, and the home remedies failed, they would go to the doctors and they would say, Savior, heal me. Deliverer, heal me. In the Bible, this term and title, it gives us reminiscing reminders of people being removed from their bondage. We remember Israel, who was in slavery for over 400 years. And who did God send? He sent a savior. He sent a deliverer. His name was Moses. And Moses went, and he went to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And with the power of God, he walked out the people of Israel from their bondage and from their slavery into the promised land. But Jesus, greater than the Roman Empire, greater than any doctor, greater than any of the gods, greater than Moses, greater than Noah, greater than David, greater than any of the prophets in the Old Testament, truly became the first deliverer that was all-encompassing, the first Savior that after him there would be no Savior needed. That in Deuteronomy when Moses is dying, he says there will be another prophet. That there will be no prophet like him that will arise. And he has not yet been born. He's not talking about Joshua who will then go with Israel to conquer the land. He is speaking about Jesus, the one that will truly deliver the people of the earth. The one who will truly save humankind from its depravity, from its sinfulness. Truly save us from all that the world has captured us in. The dark thoughts and habits the things that we have never told anybody, the things that we keep to ourselves, the things that we are too ashamed to even share with our best friends or maybe we even keep from our therapists. The scripture speaks of one savior and one deliverer who after him there would never be need for another savior and another deliverer again. His name is Jesus. The second title is Christ. The other word that we know for this is Messiah. This speaks to the absolute sovereignty and divine relationship that Jesus possesses as God. That he and he alone is sovereign. He and he alone is, yes, fully human, but also fully God. That he is the anointed one. When you are anointed in the scriptures, you were anointed for a job. You were anointed for a specific task. When David was anointed, he was anointed to become king. That one day he would rule the nations and be a man after God's own heart. But Jesus came, not as an anointed one, but as the Messiah, as the anointed one. See, everyone else that was anointed before Jesus could not fully fulfill their task. When we look at David in his life, the glaring error that everybody knows about King David, the second king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, 
is we remember Bathsheba and how David, when he was supposed to be at war with his men, instead stayed back and was roaming around his castle. And he goes out on the balcony and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop, married. But he calls her into his room and he conceives a baby with her. And then he proceeds to go and kill her husband, Uriah, because of the sin that he has committed. Everyone that has been anointed, every judge in Israel, every king that has been anointed for a task before Jesus could not fulfill the task without sinfulness gripping their heart and the decay that all of us know all too well, the temptations that we cannot keep at bay in our own strength, in our own will, gripping our heart, succumb to it. It was only Jesus that can fulfill his job, that he came on earth to deliver mankind. He came on earth anointed for a job as Christ to live a sinless life. That every time sin and temptation came crouching to his door, came knocking at his door, every time the enemy, Satan came and tempted him and showed him all that humans could desire and want in his lowest points of weakness. Jesus did not succumb to temptation, did not succumb to sin. He was anointed for his job. Is that my nephew? <laughs> None of us could fulfill the job. There was no human. Israel had time after time after time after time that they had people that were risen up to fulfill the job. But they never could. To this day, there is still nobody that can live this sinful, this pure life and never walk against temptation every day of their life. In 1 John, it says that if any of us would say that we don't sin, we call God a liar. What John is saying there is that none of us have lived this perfect life. None of us have lived a sinless life. God, in the form of Jesus, and Jesus alone, was able and anointed to live without sin and complete his job, not only to live without it, but to ultimately destroy its power and destroy the grip of death forever. This third title that we get here is Lord. This is my favorite of the bunch because it's the one I think we most ignore of Jesus. Yes, I want a savior. Yes, I'm happy that there is an anointed one. But do we really want a master? Jesus is royal in every sense. When we believe in Jesus, it says that we are transferred from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of his marvelous light. Our citizenship becomes a heavenly citizenship. Our primary citizenship is no longer where our passport resides or the color of it or the country that it has on it. It is no longer our country of origin. It is no longer our state or what we love or the great city that we live in. Our citizenship now is primarily one of the kingdom of heaven. 
and with it there comes a king. And when we enter into the kingdom of heaven, we bow down to the king as master. And we say, it is now your lordship, it is now your kingship that I submit to, that I, I give myself over to, that I obey to. I no longer sit on the throne of my own heart. Jesus is to be obeyed in every sense of the word. He is the only one worthy of our obedience and our worship. Do we understand that? That not only is he the only one that is to be obeyed, and some of us may struggle with that, but Jesus is actually the only one worthy of our obedience and our worship. So often we give our obedience to so many things. We give our worship to so many things, and sometimes we realize it, and sometimes we don't. We obey the political pundits on TV. We obey the almighty algorithms on TikTok and Instagram. We obey all the different things. And we worship them. We give them our time. We give them our money. We give them our appreciation and our gratitude and our thanks. But there is actually only one king who is worthy of our worship and worthy of our allegiance and worthy of our obedience, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one that has lived a sinless life. He is the only one that can conquer and has conquered our depravity. He is the only one that has conquered all things that cause us shame. He is the only one that has stared death and sin in the face and won at the end. He is the only one that was risen by the power of God. He is the only one that was the true atonement and sacrifice. He was the only one. It is important, church, to remember always that only Jesus should have these titles, and only Jesus was given these titles. We do not have these titles. In our idealized story, many times we carry these titles ourselves. I can save myself if... Dot, dot, dot. If I just try harder or I just try this new thing or I just go and do that. Or I try this new routine or I watch that TikTok and they said these 10 steps will make me feel better. I can save myself. I am anointed to do this special task. I love when Christians talk like this. No one else can do this. Honey, there's a lot of other people that can do it. There's only one task that nobody else can do. And it's not the task that you are doing. I know what is best. People should follow me. I should have all the followers. I should have all the subscribers. I'm just going to do what I want and what I feel like because I know truly what is best for me. I do what's right for me. Do we realize that in our idealized story that Jesus does not hold these titles? Oftentimes we hold the titles in our own life of Savior, of Lord, of Messiah. See, church, if these titles get attributed to the wrong person or wrong thing, whether it's a political party or ourselves, 
we cannot sit in the next part of the scriptures. In verse 13 and 14, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Another translation, or a better translation, is a multitude of a heavenly army, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For our Savior Christ the Lord to be born, what did that mean? In heaven, it meant simply it was party time. It meant praise, 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 and some more praise. Heaven knew what this meant. That when Jesus was born, there was literally, as described here, an explosion of worship in heaven, explosion of praise in heaven. That all the heavenly armies that we see all throughout scripture, that one of the titles of God is the Lord of hosts, which means Yahweh of armies. He is the one that holds all the power, that in heaven at this moment there is an explosion of praise. And the explosion of praise rips through the realm so that when the shepherds look up, this is not something that is hidden from their eyes, that they see the praise of Jesus. That all the hosts, all the armies of heaven begin to praise what has happened here. That nothing but celebration could happen because of what it meant for all the earth. What it meant for all of humankind. What it would mean for all of history after that. Every time that we are, get a glimpse of heaven in scripture, we get a glimpse of worship. We enter into a worship service because of who Jesus is. Because of the power and the magnitude of who we are worshiping and praising and what he has done. That when you are confronted with the majesty of Jesus, the posture that we take is one of worship. The posture that we take is one of praise. Thank you, Jesus. The scriptures are full of praise towards God. Every Sunday, we read to start our services off from the Psalms to praise God, this gets us started to remind us who Jesus is, what God has done for us, his faithfulness, his word, his promises, all that he is and all that he has done. We read, we just read of all of Jesus' titles, good enough for us to praise him. When we get glimpses of heaven, we get glimpses of worship services, praising him. See, praising and worshiping God for who he is and what he has done should be a natural state for us. It is the natural state of heaven. If we do not have that as our natural state when we think of God and when we praise him, then we have to ask the question, do we truly know who Jesus is? Do we truly understand what it means for him to be our savior, for him to be our Lord, for him to be Messiah, the anointed one? Have we truly understood what he has done of emptying himself, of, being, of coming in human form, this God who did not need to? On earth, it meant to receive its savior. It meant peace or shalom for all who would worship him. This word here, this peace, it means harmony with God. 
Jesus coming for us on earth, what that means is that we can finally have harmony with God. That is so important because God is our creator and when we are not in harmony with him, we cannot be in harmony at all. We are in disharmony with the world. We are in disharmony with our emotions. We are in disharmony with our intellectual life. We are in disharmony with our job life. We are in disharmony and disunity with the world. When we receive Jesus and who he is, only then and then alone can we come into harmony, peace with God. After Adam, after the flood, and Noah, after the disappointment of Israel, finally a perfect solution had come. There was no more imperfect solutions that, oh, this would get this generation by, and this sacrifice would last a year, or this prophet would get them on track for another decade. No, that was not the case. Instead, it was this, that finally Jesus had come. God's plan for us to live our intended purpose had finally been fulfilled. For our desires to function properly, for our heart to be pure, for our lives to live in complete harmony, for us to live in Jesus. This was it. This was it, church. Do you understand what this means? If we have been living in a state of disharmony, if we feel we are imbalanced, if it feels like for some reason we never walk in peace, our mind is always out of order, our heart is always out of order, our desires are out of order, then there is only one thing that that means, that we have not been restored to order with God. If you want to live in peace, if you want to live in harmony in your life, then first you must have harmony with God, church. And the invitation today is to know Jesus and to submit to him with the titles that he has given, Savior, Christ, and Lord. Today we have that opportunity to finally have harmony, to walk in our intended purpose. And it's only possible if we worship Jesus as Savior, Christ, the Lord. Church, will you put your faith in him today? Will you remove those titles from yourself or from whatever place that you have given them, whatever party you have given them, whatever entertainment you have given them, whatever algorithm you have given yourself over to, whatever pill that you have decided will save you, whatever drink you have decided will save you. Will you give it away today and lay it down and say that Jesus Christ is the only one who is my deliverer. He is the only one who is Messiah. He is the only one who can be master over me. He is the only one. Church, will you stand with me? You are the only one, Jesus. My prayer today, God, is that everybody here will experience what it's like to have harmony with their Creator to walk out their intended purpose, to follow your will in all you have called us to do, to enjoy the fruit of the peace of shalom over our lives, no matter our circumstances, no matter our life and what is happening around us, but to know true peace in you and to submit wholly and fully in obedience to the only one who is worthy of that submission, to the only one that is worthy of that praise and that worship. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Church, usually I invite you to the back to pray, but praise God, there's no room back there today. So I'm going to invite you, if you do want prayer, we got a little bit of room up here, uh, and some of our prayer team will be up here. If you have never followed God and you want to walk a life in harmony with Him, then I encourage you, come and talk to somebody up here, because we want to walk out that life with you. That is not something you would ever do alone. That is not just a prayer that you pray and then go home and live your life normally. No, it is, a, it is a decision for Jesus to be your Lord. And we want to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life that you would want to receive prayer, then I invite you to come up here at any moment during worship. Our team would love to pray with you. Let's worship for a moment.